So many of us struggle with our place in this world, if you will. We, we don't think that our life actually amounts to anything. Uh, we wonder sometimes if we're really making a difference in anyone's life. This struggle is true, I think, for all of us, whether you're a new believer or somebody that's been walking in the faith for quite some time. Many disciples of Jesus tell others that they're following him, but don't realize that the major part of being a follower of Christ is actually losing yourself and denying yourself. You've already got him. You don't need anything else. We're jumping back here into the book of Acts and moving past the conversion of Paul, as we spoke of last time, to the ministry of the Apostle Peter. We're going to be looking at two specific things. Number one, a helping hand, verses 32 through 35. And number two, an impressive testimony, verses 36 through 43. Let's start off with number one, a helping hand, verses 32 through 35. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Anus, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What we see here is the narrative in Acts resumes once again with the Apostle Peter. And he is a bold apostle that's preaching the gospel clearly, precisely, and boldly. We remember that when we look back at Peter's life, he wasn't so bold when Jesus was around. In fact, he'd make bold statements only to retract on them later. When he was called out on something, he'd back off. But this Peter was different. This Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's what gave him the boldness that he has. It seems as though what we find here in the narrative is that Peter has just traveled the country, if you will, and he arrives, particularly in Lydda, to visit other fellow believers. We don't know if he was there to help evangelize or really just be an encouragement to the believers. Lydda itself is 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem at the intersection of the highways from Egypt to Syria and from Jerusalem to coastal Joppa. It had become a predominantly Jewish population with a Gentile mix in there. Peter finds this man here paralyzed whose name is Aeneas, which is actually a Greek name implying that this man is probably a Hellenistic Jew. What is interesting here, though, is that if you look at verse 33, it says a certain man when describing Aeneas. But if you look down to verse 36, you see the word disciple mentioned when we're talking about Tabitha or Dorcas. It's possible that this man that Peter meets is not a follower of Jesus himself, at least not at the point of contact with Peter initially. What's also important to know is that because a person does not necessarily hold to your faith or my faith, it does not mean that we don't help them out when they're in need. And that's what we see here is Peter is, without discrimination, helping this man out. This man's paralysis was unable to be cured by medical practices of that day. In fact, what's interesting is many years of paralysis this man has gone through, he's already gone through eight years where he couldn't even move about like a normal man. Imagine with me someone that's very helpless. They actually can't do anything to help themselves, and they always have to rely on others to support them. Eight years of what seems to be a hopeless existence on this earth. 
There are so many people like this around us. In fact, many are living in spiritual paralysis, if you will, addicted to sin, which binds them from true living for God. There are hurting people in this nation that don't have any hope. In fact, their greatest hope is a vaccine that will return their life to what we call normal today. What's more painful is the damage that is not just caused to the person that's going through this, but the, those around them that are trying to help them. In fact, the pain affects the rest of the family of this man more than likely, because they every day have to sacrifice their time and energy and resources to help him out. One of the difficulties for them is probably the inability to go about their daily lives like they normally would, knowing that Aeneas needs someone to help him. There's a reason, believer, why you and I, we need to be strong ourselves before we can help others. Just like you would need to have good health physically if you were to try to take care of someone else in your family, you and I need spiritual vitality. We need to be strong spiritually in order to help somebody else who's weak. It's absolutely essential if we're going to try to help somebody out. In fact, Apostle, the Apostle Paul makes a statement in Galatians chapter 6, which I believe is a very well-spelled out um, version in the Amplified Version on this passage. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is what it says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, that is, you who are responsive to the guidance of the Spirit, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, not with a sense of superiority or self-righteousness, keeping a watchful eye on yourself so that you are not, not tempted as well. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the requirements of the law of Christ. That is the law of Christian love. For if anyone thinks he is something special, when in fact he is nothing special except in his own eyes, he deceives himself. But each one must carefully scrutinize his own work, examining his actions, attitudes, and behavior. And then he can have the personal satisfaction and inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing himself to another. For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which, for which he alone is responsible. So one of the best ways that you can lend a helping hand to others is to make sure that you have something to give yourself. And one of the ways that you know that is that you're secure in Christ as a believer. The reason many don't have much that they can help others with is they have been very foolish with their own time and resources and are empty to be able to help anyone else out. Peter here is not making a name for himself. In fact, he is trying to make sure that Jesus is who is pronounced to this man. He actually mentions that Jesus is the one that wants to heal you. Peter is literally telling this man, Jesus the Messiah is healing you. It's not me. Notice we don't see a, you need to believe in this text. That's one of the things that's interesting is that we don't see a call, if you will, to the gospel by Peter. We just see a simple statement that Jesus, the Messiah, if you will, is coming to heal you. It's an affirmation that Jesus Christ is here to heal you. Get up. Jesus has sent me because he knows your pain. This is what Peter's trying to communicate to this man. He knows your helplessness. He knows your frustration. And he wants you to no longer live paralyzed. Get up. 
Aeneas gets right up and his healing itself turns into a gospel witness. One of the difficulties in this text is understanding whether or not everyone saw this miracle and repented of it, of the fact that they didn't know Christ. Or if this was more of a response to the miracle that they witnessed when this man went into the town. This act of healing, which only true apostles, by the way, actually had, um, today's healing in this sense is just false and fake, um, in fact, if it was real today, then COVID patients everywhere would have plenty of apostles coming around and healing them in hospitals, and we don't seem to see that going on. So make sure that we're right on what we mean by healing. This was a specific gift that was given to the apostles. Pay attention, believer. The very help you offer someone in need can be the very tool to reach others with the gospel. I think it's something that's missed many times. We should always lend a helping hand, but especially be concerned with what this wonderful lady that we're going to talk about, Tabitha, left behind, which is an impressive testimony. Number two, an impressive testimony, verses 36 through 43. Here's what it says. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And when it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this lady Tabitha, or Dorcas. One of the things that you notice right off the bat, and Scripture tells us, is that she was a disciple that was full of good works and charitable deeds. But as happens to many of us, it also happened to her, she became very sick. But she got to the point of being very sick and dying. If you drop down to verse 39, it clearly tells us that she made clothes for the widows in need. The widows that were crying because she had died were more than likely coming up to Peter and trying to show him what she had done for them. Pointing out the very things that she had made for each of them. What an impressive testimony. Scripture spells out for us about Tabitha or Dorcas here. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. More than likely, these widows were ministered by Tabitha, who may have been a widow herself. It's very possible we don't see anything mentioned about her husband here in this text. 
What's incredible here is that because Tabitha may have experienced something personally, she found others that were hurting as she was, and she decided to help them by making them clothing, all the while trying to reach them with the gospel. Out of personal pain, a ministry can be born. In fact, many miss this opportunity that many times God lays right at their feet to make Christ known. When a disciple of Jesus dies, it's obvious that there's a lot of people that are probably going to miss them, just like these widows did. But it's also important to remember that their testimony is what these ladies remembered. There are many people that have made an impact personally in my own life. I look back throughout the years and I know many people throughout my life have made an impact in my life. Can I encourage you personally to think of those people that have made an impact in your life? And if they're still living today, to go back and actually go and thank them for what they've done. Especially those that have lived with a good testimony before the Lord. Maybe go back to that person that taught you scripture. Whether it's your mom and dad, or maybe your Sunday school teacher, or somebody in your church. And thank them while they're still living. Thank them about their faith that they passed on to you. Go back to maybe that youth leader that warned you of the dangers of the world and its temptations. Realize that he really was looking out for your best interest. He really wanted what God's best was for you. Find that church member that maybe helped you years ago, that left you in a lasting impression, if you will, of what it means to live by faith. To be perfectly honest, one of the things I do miss as I miss Rick. I miss Rick tremendously. One of the things that I remember when I was, if you will, a bit wet behind the ears, still kind of new to this whole thing, um, is I remember really being overwhelmed. Had a lot of things going on. Was working another job as well. Had a lot of responsibilities here at the church. And I remember Rick just coming by and just simply going, Hey, Roman, I don't know why you're worried about it. Don't you believe God's sovereign? Don't you believe God knows what he's doing? Roman, God's got this. I still remember that day. I still remember that day when I found out that he was, he was gone. It's one of the most difficult things to realize that you won't be able to see that person once again. And very similar to what these widows were going through, Rick left a testimony behind. I want you to ask yourself this question. Would your life be defined as a life that was full of good works and charitable deeds? Is that the way your life would be defined? Or would everyone remember your constant complaining, your bitterness, your anger towards others, your frustration with other believers, whatever, what would they remember you for? Your testimony and my testimony matters, just like it did for Tabitha. What's incredible in this text, though, is that the disciples that called for Peter did not actually bury her, but rather laid her up in an upstairs room. They probably believed that she would be resurrected when Peter returned. Although, what's interesting in the text, and you'll see this, is they tell Peter to hurry. 
Interestingly enough, though, Peter does not invoke the name of Jesus as he did with the healing of Aeneas. But he says something very similar to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 when he heals Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. In fact, look at who was with him in that text. Luke chapter 8, verses 49 through 55. That's what this is what we're going to read. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately." What's interesting as we get back to this text here in Acts is that Peter was given the power of healing just as Jesus had. In fact, he was given this power of healing to ultimately share the gospel message, the good news that Jesus saves. As Tabitha is brought back to life here in this text in Acts, she's presented by Peter to the saints and widows. But the more incredible thing here is that This is just another means that God uses to reach others with the gospel. There's more to it than just a simple miraculous healing or a miraculous resurrection. This is another tool used to share the gospel with those around. What God has done in your life and mine should be a means to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as Tabitha's life did. It does not mean that we're not going to have rough seasons. We all have them. We all go through them. But the very tragedy that maybe God helped you work through could be the very tool for an incredible testimony of His saving grace. To top things off, here's what's interesting. The last verse in this text tells us that Peter decided to stay with Simon the Tanner. It's kind of a small detail that many people miss in this text. A tanner is someone who's a leather maker, if you will. Somebody that was considered unclean to the Jewish people. In fact, they worked with dead animals, and that was the reason. But what's interesting is that it doesn't just say that he stayed with him. It says that he stayed with him many days. So Peter took some time. Here's what's important. We need to pay attention to this. Take time with those in need. It took time for someone like Tabitha to invest in these widows. To have the testimony that she had when she had died. Many are spiritually paralyzed. In fact, many are spiritually dead, as Scripture says. And they need you to come along and share the gospel message with them. You and I can't save anyone. But this word has that kind of power. The gospel message brings the dead to life. So in conclusion, 
Here's the question. Does it matter? Does it matter? Does what you and I do in this life matter? I would argue from the testimony that we see here in Scripture that it absolutely does. It matters because Jesus is to be made known to those around us, those that can't help themselves, but Jesus can because he's done that for us. If you don't know Christ, it may seem like life doesn't matter, and what you're doing actually doesn't matter. But let me tell you plainly, it still does, and it does for a reason that you may not be considering. It matters because you will still have to answer to God for what you've done in this life. The good news, though, is that you and I can believe on Jesus Christ, just as those around Aeneas and Tabitha did when they saw what God did in their lives. We can trust Jesus fully, and God takes the penalty of our sin away and lays it all on His Son, Jesus Christ. Then everything that we do thereafter counts for eternity. Everything. It says that they turned to the Lord, which means that they stopped trusting in themselves and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the one who heals and brings the dead back to life. He can do that in your life today, especially if you've not known him yet. Take the time, believers, to thank those around you that have made an impact in your life. And remember the testimony of those who have gone before you. So one day we worship with them around the throne. Let's pray.